And now the 116th quack cast, animal therapy. Animal assisted therapy is a huge topic. Almost 1500 hits on PubMed using those terms. There is no way I can cover all of them and do justice. Instead, I'm going to cherry pick, I mean, let you select references of interest to illustrate issues surrounding animals in the hospital. Sometimes I get the impression that people expect me to have an encyclopedic knowledge and understanding of a topic when I do a quack cast on it. That is not true. I learn by doing these quack casts. It hardly makes me an expert until I'm done. I would like to mention, however, that I do, in fact, like animals, even dogs. I loathe dog owners, as confirmation bias suggests that there is no such thing as a considerate dog owner. But I have never had contact with dogs that don't bark, that don't crap on my yard, and don't run up to me to nip at my legs. I only see the dogs in my neighborhood whose owners allow them to behave in ways I would never allow my child to do. So it is no surprise that my children grew up mostly animal-free. My eldest did wear me down and I bought him a hamster. It promptly bit me. Great. I thought, I'm going to get lymphocoriomeningitis virus. Just what I need. Then, in the dead of winter, it escaped, fell down a heating duct we were putting in a new floor, and electrocuted itself on the heating coils. So every time the heat turned on, we smelled a rotting, roasting hamster. It cost $500 to take the furnace apart and clean it. Good thing it wasn't a beagle. So that was enough for pets in the house for me. Animals have multiple uses in medicine. From testing new drugs, it's how I learned that rabbits can scream, to various and sundry, well, just various, forms of therapy. As has been alluded to in the past, if you take a noun, add a word therapy, voila, you have a treatment for patients. Not that animals are useless in patient care, but over the years I have noticed more and more animals being brought into my hospital. There is a time and a place for everything, and hospitals are not the place for animals. I first became aware of animal therapy in my hospital years ago when I was seeing a late consult in the ICU and I noted a cat in the ICU sitting on the chest of a fresh open-heart patient. Let us just say I did not react mildly. I discovered we had no policies and procedures for animals in the hospital, and that has since changed, although we have more animals in the hospital than I would like, human or otherwise. A perusal of the literature suggests that for relieving pain, petting a dog may be as efficacious as acupuncture, and the proponents trot out the same mechanism of action. Quote, animal-assisted therapy is a complementary medical intervention utilizing dogs trained to be obedient, calm, and comforting. God, I wish my children were that way. Several studies have reported significant pain relief after participating in therapy dog visits. Objective reports of reduced pain and pain-related symptoms are supported by studies measuring, there it goes, decreased catecholamines and increased endorphins in humans receiving friendly dog visits. Blah, 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 blah. Now, I am not going to deny that petting dogs is a benefit. Humans are social animals that like to touch and be touched. Although some people get into trouble for doing that. I have long thought that the placebo effect of scam therapies, such as it is, 
is just a gussied up version of apes grooming each other. Ritual attention is good. Except, in deference to a million years of evolution, the scam provider will not attempt to pick fleas off patients. Earthmen are never proud of their ancestors and never invite them round to dinner. At least I hope so. Nitpicking should be reserved for the comments that follow this podcast. I am intrigued by using animal sense of smell to help make a diagnosis. Most of the time, like using a dog to smell for cancer, I do not see the point outside of proof of concept. It does not seem practical. Though they have trained dogs to smell patients with specific kinds of cancer. However, in resource-poor areas, if an animal can be trained to diagnose an infection, that could be very helpful. Some poor dog was trained to smell out C. difficile diarrhea. There is an animal I feel very sorry for. And they have trained the African pouch rat to smell MTB. They also eat the African pouch rat, so when the animal got to the end of its practical life, mmm, dinner. That would be a good use of animals, a reusable and reliable diagnostic tool in parts of the world that cannot afford modern diagnostic technology. Other diseases? I recently had a patient who had a companion dog for emotional support and as a seizure dog who warned him when he was going to seize so he could take preventative Valium. There have been dogs trained to watch for the prodrome of seizures, although my dog received no such training. What little literature I could find suggests that animals who are not trained are not reliable and may be used to reinforce illnesses that are not there. Patients think they're going to have a seizure and then have a fake seizure because the dog triggers it. Like the cat who could predict death in the Newman Journal of Medicine, seizure dogs are more likely an excellent example of confirmation bias. As is usually the case when someone has a service animal for emotional support, they become extremely belligerent when it is suggested that, you know, the hospital might not be the best place for a dog or other animal. Words like Sioux and Americans with Disability get thrown around and the animal always stays. Yet another reason I am not a fan of dog owners. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, but consideration of others is not high on the list of pet owners. They do not seem to consider that there may be people in the hospital who say are allergic to dogs and simply cannot leave. Besides dogs and cats, people want to bring all sorts of vermin, I mean animals, into the hospital. One of the infection control practitioners mentioned that at a prior job, someone wanted to bring a reptile zoo into a pediatric cancer ward. Great idea. Let's bring in a salmonella vector to the most immuno-incompetent patients in the hospital. Just what they need. And in Portland, they bring llamas into hospitals. Not mine. And horses. Not mine. As some are aware, I am in charge of infection control in my hospitals, and I see everything, and I do mean everything, as a potential infection risk. It makes me fun at parties as I can often come up with an infection risk for virtually any human behavior or exposure. I guess that's why I stand alone and drink my beer quietly. We are all biased by our experience and I am continually impressed with all the weird and unexpected ways people can acquire infection. Murphy was an optimist. If something can cause an infection, believe me, it will.
there are two infection control issues with animals in the hospital. The first, well, entertain yourself by watching what people do with their hands. Hands go everywhere, all the time, picking, scratching, rearranging, and they are not always cleaned afterwards. People will pet animals, but they don't wash their hands before or after. Then the next patient touches the animal, acquiring whatever organism was on the fur. While I have to foam my hands between each patient, no one ever foams the animal between patients. While no animal has yet been identified in hospital outbreaks, dogs have been an intermediary for the spread of E. coli urinary tract infections and a source of methicillin-resistant staph aureus and fungal infections as well. Pet therapies have been cultured, and they can be found to carry MRSA and C. difficile, and extended-spectrum beta-lactamase E. coli, and pasteurella, and malassezia, and toxicara, and ankylostoma, and MRSA, and VRE, and campylobacter, and the list goes on and on. We live in quite close contact with our pets, and they carry the same infections that we do. There has yet to be a reported infection transmission or outbreak with pet therapy, but probably it is because people are not looking. But given the results of cultures of pet therapy, do you really want a dog wandering from room to room in your hospital? With genetic techniques, it is becoming increasingly easy to follow a chain of transmission of infection. Anesthesiologists, as an example, can directly be the source of potential pathogens on the hub of central venous catheters. The same organism on the catheter hub is found on the hands of the anesthesiologist. It is only a matter of time before these techniques are applied to animals in the hospital. Not only can animals be an intermediary for human pathogens, they have their own set of pathogens that can be spread to humans, pasteurella and capnocytophagia being two. And I always bear in mind that animals, well, lick their butt, and then they lick you. Ick. If I were to scratch my backside and then offer to shake your hand, you would probably refuse, but probably think nothing of having a dog lick you. Same thing. People just do not consider animals as a source of infection, in part because the infections are relatively rare, in part because we do not look for them, and in part because who wants to blame the animal? My favorite healthcare-associated infection, although not hospital-acquired, was a patient who let her cat sleep in her dialysis bag warmer, and she developed CAPD peritonitis with the cat's pasteurella. And I can go on and on and on and on. All the curious ways in which humans can acquire infections from our pets and animals. To compound the problem, with the widespread use of veterinary antibiotics, it is no surprise that pets and animals are a source of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. I have enough trouble controlling infections from humans, much less adding dogs to the mix. All of medicine is about risk versus benefit of an intervention. I am particularly paranoid about infections in the hospital, given how easily they can be spread. But simple interventions can stop the spread of infection. That's why I'm pushing for autoclaving any animal before we let it into the hospital. And so ends the 116th QuackCast. If you're bored, go online and write me a review on iTunes. My favorite one to date is, quote, this guy gave me one star, by the way, don't need to listen. 
read the synopsis of proven treatments such as acupuncture. Dinosaur thinker, this guy. Glad the meteor is coming for him. He gives me a one star and doesn't bother to listen to the quack casts. That pretty much sums up the mindset of some people. Don't want information. I already know the truth. And that ends the 116th quack cast. Bye, guys.